We do have that text open in front of you in 1 Peter chapter 2 in the opening verses. And uh, we've been seeing in recent weeks that Peter has been dealing with that basic Christian principle that we should love the brethren, we should love one another. And uh, as we've been considering already today and over these past weeks, that is such a vital mark of being a true believer. And so important, not only in showing the love of Christ in terms of life in the family of believers to benefit and bless and encourage one another, our brothers and sisters, those in the body of Christ, but also how the way we love one another is so important in our witness to the world around us. And the way in which when we love like that, it does impact those around and those who see because it is so different from the love that is found in the world. And at the end of chapter 1, Peter has explained that this capacity to love in that supernatural way is given to the believer at conversion. That moment when God intervened, granted life in Christ, when the individual is born again through the uncorruptible seed of the Word of God. And this new birth, this spiritual regeneration, that is God's work. But he has a means by which he does it, an incorruptible seed, imperishable, the living, sure, abiding, remaining word of God. And Peter says in verse 25, this is the word preached, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen again, ascended, exalted, one day to return, the only saviour of sinners. And friends, tonight, I urge you again, if you do not know Christ, how you need to run to him and trust him because the blessings and the benefits we're going to consider tonight are for those who are in Christ, those who have been brought from death to life by grace. And so if you're outside of Christ, I impress upon you, trust him, run to him, believe in him. And then as we see in the passage here, Peter goes on to speak in this whole flow of his argument about loving one another of the importance of the Word of God and why it's so valuable in the life of the believer. And really the key phrase in these opening verses of chapter 2 is that we are to desire the pure milk of the Word. And so he's speaking of genuine spirituality, genuine godliness, that is always marked by a love for and a delight in the truth of God. You know, that is true of real believers, and you see it, in fact, throughout the Scriptures. You know, you think of Job 23, verse 12, where Job says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Psalm 1, verse 2, but his, speaking of the, the godly and blessed man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 19, which speaks concerning the word of God being more desirable than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey. And then that ultimate expression of the godly man's delight in the scriptures and love for the truth would be the 176 verses of Psalm 119. And throughout that, you found those expressions of the heart. Oh, how I love your law. A love for the word of God. These things are seen and we also see it too in the New Testament. John 8, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He who is of God hears God's words. 
Romans 7.22 shows the love for the word that is in a true believer's heart. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. And so Peter here commands, he urges believers to desire to long for the pure milk of the word. And friends, just as there was an intensity when he speaks about loving one another fervently, there's also an intensity in the language that he uses here. And as he exhorted believers to love the brethren, to stretch to the utmost in their love for one another, so here he says that the believer is to have strong desires, cravings, longings for the word. You know, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same word in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. That picture of the the deer with a desperate, insatiable thirst. And he has that one controlling desire to get to that brook to be able to drink of the water. And the psalmist speaks of the, the longing there of the believer for God. But then Peter uses the same language, really, the same imagery, that desire, that craving, that loving for the word. And it's non negotiable. You know, friends, we probably know what it is to be thirsty we know what it is to long for something maybe to crave food maybe not as much as some around this world but it's enough to get an understanding of the picture that Peter brings here we know the cravings that we feel towards the things in life that are good we also know do we not the battle that we have with that longing for things that we know that are not good And Peter says, in all of these longings, the one longing you must have if you are a believer is an intense, passionate, overwhelming craving for the Word. And he speaks of the pure milk of the Word, the idea being it is uncontaminated, it is a, a pure thing, a pure substance in the midst of a world that is full of corruption, that is full of contaminated things. And the image that he uses is so lovely, isn't it? A little baby who craves for the pure milk, untouched, unpolluted from mother to child. And the child of God should crave the the pure milk of the word like that. Now, we just need to spend a little bit of time unpacking some of the language that Peter uses here. The image is quite easy for us to, to see and to understand. But we also need to break down the language. And that phrase there, of the word, is used only one of the time in the New Testament. In fact, you find it in Romans 12 and verse 1. And it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now you say, well, you just read the verse, and I didn't hear the words of the word in it. So how do they link? Well, in fact, the phrase of the word and reasonable service are the ones that are linked. They are the connected parts. And the word used on both of those occasions means belonging to speech or belonging to reason. Now, speech demonstrates rationality. And that's for humans alone. And eventually, over time, the phrase belonging to speech and reason became reasonable, rational, and began to be associated with spiritual things. So then we ask the question of that verse, well, what is reasonable spiritual service? 
Well, that's where the link comes in with our text in Peter. Reasonable spiritual service is the action which is totally in line with what is revealed in the Word of God. It's service which is consistent with the mind of God as shown in the Scriptures. And since the mind of God is revealed in Scripture, it is therefore of the Word. You know, Peter has said that the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that was preached. And so it is obvious then that believers will desire more of the word. The abiding, eternal, dynamic word of God. The firm foundation, the source of our nourishment. The source of our growth as the Lord's people. And you know, it is so clear straight away that friends... As individuals, if we are believers, and certainly as a local church here, we need to keep the Bible central. And Peter gets back to that foundation. He challenges us each directly on our attitude towards the Bible. And I ask you, as I ask myself, do you crave the Word? Do you crave it? Is it central? It's interesting. Peter could have just said, you need to read the Word. Remember, Paul told Timothy, till I come, give attention to reading the Word. He could have just said, well, you need to study the Word. Paul told Timothy to do that. He could have said, well, you need to meditate on the Word. And there are many references about that in Scripture. He could have said, you need to preach the Word, or search the Word, or hide the Word in your hearts. All of those things are important. But Peter doesn't say that. Why? Because before you're going to do any of those vital things, you have to desire the Word. You have to crave it. Everything else flows from that longing for the Word. And our prayer must be that the Spirit of God would produce that longing in our hearts. And that's why the picture of the baby desiring the milk is so important. It's a very simple illustration. A baby craving milk. If you've been around a baby who's craving milk, you'll know that they want it pretty bad. And uh, they'll let you know that they want it too. They're not satisfied with anything else. They know what they want and they really let you know that they want that. And as a hungry baby craves the milk, so the child of God is to crave passionately the Word of God. And by the way, that's not just for sort of new believers. Some try to argue that. That's not what Peter is saying. He's saying all those who have new life, should crave the Word. Everything else comes from that hunger, that craving, that longing for the Word of God. And so this is a, a simple message, but it's absolutely clear, and it's what I want to ask each one of us tonight. Do we have that desire for the Word ourselves and also in the, the times that we have together? Do you know, we live in days in our land which are difficult. And often I get emails and different things and messages from those who say they struggle to find a place which teaches the Word of God near where they live. And they want to be fed, and so they have to resort to other means. And it's a tragedy that that's the case. But it's also encouraging that there's a longing for the Word, and that they want to be under sound ministry. And it's an evidence of God's work in their lives. And that's what the believers should long for. And it's so sad when believers who do have access 
to have access to fellowship and to the preaching of the word, and yet really are apathetic towards it. You know, with babies, you don't have to wait very long before they have that craving for milk. It's, it's inbuilt, something that God has designed in them. And it's natural, a baby cries to be fed. But as one has said, the sad reality is that as believers, so many times we have to be coddled and exhorted to do what should come most naturally as the flow of our sense of need toward the source for that need, the Word of God. And you know, the challenge is this, that many, many churches are embarrassed to have the Word essential to our preaching meetings. Oh, well, we can't invite people to the preaching of the word. You've just got the preaching of the word. This is vital, friends, and we should crave it. We should desire the pure milk of the word with the same intensity and compulsion that a baby desires milk. And little babies, they are wonderful miracles, and they have those little hands and feet, but they arrive with big voices. And not only is it loud... But there's something in that crying that's kind of painful too. And, uh, you know, they, they cannot just let it go. And you just want to give the baby what it needs to stop the crying. And the baby's craving is so intense, they've got to have that milk. And when they want milk, they want milk. That's what Peter is talking about. And as we consider our own lives as believers, friends, where is our longing for the word like that? In all honesty, we have to say that, you know, we don't long for the word like that all the time. But thankfully, Peter gives us some points to help us out if we're struggling in this. And uh, these points are very clear and they've been traced by many and I'm sharing them with you. And the first thing is this, remember the source of your spiritual life. Remember the source of your spiritual life. Look at verse 1, he says, Therefore... Linking to all that's gone before, the previous chapter, the word of the Lord endures, the word of the gospel, therefore desire the pure milk of the word. And Peter's saying, because of what the word did to give you life in Christ, because you've already experienced its power as the Holy Spirit has applied it to you, you should have that longing for it. You know, if you were to look back at chapter 1 and verses 22 to 23, Peter says it was this truth that purified your souls and brought you to obedience to the gospel. It was the incorruptible word which was applied to bring you birth. It was the word that endures forever that was preached to you in the gospel in which you believed. He says you've already experienced the life-giving power of the word. And he's saying, since this living, abiding, eternal word was the, the power of your new birth, your cleansing from sin, that transformation, the grace of God, since you've already had that powerful word expressed in your life through the saving work of God's Spirit, remember its power and crave its continuing influence in your life. And the word isn't just powerful in your salvation. The word is powerful in your sanctification. This word which gave you new life will sustain and enrich and embellish that new life. James 1 verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Philippians 2.16, holding fast the word of life. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful. 
You've already experienced the life-giving power of the word, this thrilling, marvelous power expressed in your conversion. That's just the beginning. And whatever it could do in your salvation, it can do in your sanctification. So never forget the source. And just think of the way that God in his grace and by that precious work of the Spirit, think of the power of the word taking you from the kingdom of darkness and directing you into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Remember this word which is so powerful that it breaks the power of sin and sets you on the path to liberty. The living word, that which the Spirit anoints and applies. It's a powerful word and we should desire it. And when you neglect it, neglect the source, you'll be malnourished in the truth of the living God. And we see that all around us today. Remember the source of your spiritual life. And then also remember that this word will keep you from sin. What did the psalmist say? Your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. What does Peter say in verse 1? Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. He says, you're never going to have a singular desire for the truth of God until you stop desiring other things. As long as you desire evil, as long as you desire deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking, your desires are polluted and corrupted and your craving for the word will be blunted. And so the language that Peter uses carries with it the strength of a command to strip away, like removing dirty, filthy clothing. Strip away the filthy things in your life. Those lusts and longings and desires and appetites for the wrong things which you know do you harm. The little baby just wants the milk. And in that single thing, this wonderful nutrition is poured into that little life. And what happens? The baby grows. Or the baby becomes a toddler, and it doesn't take long before that toddler is exposed to different things, some good, some bad. And what happens then? Well, they tend to like the things that are bad for them. And usually the sweeter it is, the more they want it. And so it goes on. As they grow, their appetites get worse. And we live in an age, don't we, where we're bombarded with healthy eating, and so we try and refine what we eat but then the older we get the more we get a taste of the things that are not so good for us and appetites we want to satisfy it's true in the spiritual realm as well when your singular craving is the word you'll be well nourished and you'll be satisfied with the word but when your desire is corrupted by appetites for things that are spiritually unhealthy those things do you harm and you're in danger and those appetites tend to get stronger and choke the desire for the world. You know, just think of what he says. He says, lay aside all malice. What is that? Well, it's a general word for evil. It's the base pool from which all kinds of evil emerges. And Peter says, strip that away at the source. It has to be thrown off, eliminated, confessed, repented of. You know, people who don't have any desire for the word are filled with desires for all manner of wrong things which occupy their minds and direct them into a place of difficulty. Strip that away. All deceit, literally meaning deception, dishonesty, seduction, treachery, sometimes translated guile. 
Sometimes the picture it's used to describe a, a baited hook to catch an unsuspecting fish. So he says, set aside all evil and all that is deceptive and dishonest. Hypocrisy, something that is not real but fake, not genuine. It pretends to be one thing but is in fact another. He says that's got to be stripped away. We need to be genuine and real. Envy, to want what others have, to want to be what others are, to resent somebody else's situation because it's not your own. All of which then leads to resentment and bitterness and grudges and hatred and conflict. It's got to be set aside. All evil speaking, literally speaking unkindly, gossiping, being malicious with words. We know, don't we, from uh, our time in James a long time ago now when John was there, when we, you know, we saw the damage that words can do. And they trip off our tongues so easily, and yet the damage can be devastating. You know, we have to be so careful and set aside all evil speaking. They have to be actively stripped away. But if your mind is full of the things that are evil, if your desire is after things that will harm you spiritually, if you pursue these things, if these things are the pattern in your life, then it's unsurprising that your desire for the word will be less. And those elements that Peter puts into verse 1, they're not random. They follow a flow. A general desire after evil leads to deception. You need to be deceptive about your true character. And so that deceit leads to hypocrisy. So then you need to cover that by putting on a front. And hypocrisy produces envy because you look at others who are genuine and you want what they've got. And then that leads to slander because you're bitter against them. And so these things flow all together. And it's the opposite of what we're called to in 1 Peter 1.22 since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Fervent love, the mark of the believer, not evil leading to deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And Peter says, strip those things away, lay them aside. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Paul says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. A strong desire for the word is developed by pursuing the right things, by pursuing holiness. And if you're struggling with desire for the word, to read it, to hear it, uh, to hear it taught and preached and study it, Peter says, go back to the source of the power which you experienced, the power of the word applied by the Spirit, and strip away those sinful desires, those things which ensnare us, and go to God, and confess your need of him, and your need of forgiveness and grace. And so he says, turn away from these things. And then also we need to remember our need for the truth. You know, in the life of the believer, there has to be a humility and a recognition that you don't have all you need. You know, that might come as a shock to some of you. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, with a newborn baby you feed them, and it's not long before they want some more. Peter is speaking of newborn babies just into the world. They are totally dependent on the nourishment that they get through their mother's milk. They want to feed all the time. 
That's the desire of the baby. Everyone else is worried about the cute little sleep suits and mittens and caps and whatever else and what they look like. The baby isn't bothered. It just wants milk and sleep. And that craving for milk brings two essential things, nourishment and protection. And that's what we need, dear friends. The mother's milk nourishes the child, it helps it to grow, but also in the milk there's so much goodness, the antibodies that build up the child's immune system, if it doesn't get that, it's malnourished and vulnerable. Peter speaks of desiring the word in that same way. We, we constantly need the nourishing by the word. We need the protection it gives. It is the scriptures that cause us to grow, that enable us to see what is true and what is error, to protect us from the enemy's cleverness and craftiness, from his onslaught. The arrogance of some who feel they don't need the word. They can handle themselves okay and go on in their Christian lives and they'll be fine. We need the Word. We need to grow through the Word. How to be together, how to serve Him, how to be useful to Him, how to grow in grace, all of these things. Nothing is worse than somebody who thinks that they don't need any more. That they don't need to come to the Word because they know all there is to know about the issues. Well, friend... That is a sign of immaturity and pride. It is not a sign of maturity. And I pray that God would keep me and that he would keep us in this fellowship from ever thinking that we have enough knowledge of the scriptures that we've arrived. For however much we may know, we are just scratching the surface of our great and glorious God. A newborn baby craves the milk because its instinct is that he needs it desperately. Nothing else will do. As believers, we need to recognize that. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As one has said, we have desperate need for the word in churches today. We have weak Christians, weak churches Rampant spiritual malnutrition reflecting the rejection of the true spiritual milk. We have very defective antibodies in the body of Christ today, very little discernment, and that makes the church vulnerable to all kinds of infection from error because it is not appropriately nourished. And the days have come, friends, when people won't endure sound doctrine. They want their ears tickled. They want to be entertained. And we need to recognize how vital the word is and how desperate we are for it. We need the word. We need to read it spiritually and truly because it's the nourishment that we need. And then lastly, as we draw together, remember that the word is the means by which we grow. By admitting the need for the word, we are affirming that we desire to grow and the means by which we grow is the word of God. Now we can rejoice if we're with the Lord and we were not and are not as we once were, but we're not the finished article. We have a long way to go. And uh, we might be at different stages on the journey. Some may be relatively new to these things. Maybe some of you have walked the way of Christ for many, many years. Whatever stage we are at, we should desire to grow and go on with the Lord. And the scriptures are vital. 
Peter exhorts in 2 Peter 3.18, growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that comes through desiring the word, drinking in the word. It makes you strong and effective and fruitful. And what happens when you grow? Well, you increase in spiritual understanding. Your perspective on the issues in life changes. You have a deeper delight in spiritual things. Your true fulfillment comes from the things of God. Your love for God intensifies. Your love for this passing world lessens. Your faith in the Lord is strengthened. Your understanding of his person and his sovereignty gives you greater stability in the ever-changing scenes of this life. And there'll be a greater consistency in your life and in your obedience to the Lord. And friend, if you want to grow, if I want to grow, and I do before the Lord, if we want that deeper spiritual understanding and delight in spiritual things and love for God and stronger faith and consistent walk, your heart is to grow. We need to grow. How do we grow? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the whole counsel of God, nourishment and protection. And then he draws it all together with that wonderful verse, verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I wonder if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. The implication is that the believer has indeed tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That he is kind and that he is gracious. And so all these things, this desire is only for those who know that. Only for those who have that new life. How can you taste of Christ and not want more? How can you be near to him and not desire more of him when we've seen his goodness and his kindness and his grace, when we've known his salvation, when we've seen the ways in which he has answered prayer and we've seen the providence of God and the protection of God and we've seen his work in those around us and close to us. When we've seen his own work in our own lives and we've known him here, the deep cries of our hearts and we've felt his nearness and we've known his comfort and experienced his mercies which are new every morning, the faithfulness of our God. When we survey the blessings, we've tasted and seen that God is good and he's always good and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And they come to us and we're granted those exceeding great and precious promises which are yes and amen in who? In Christ. Tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? So friends, when it comes to being hungry for the word, we need to remember how vital the word is. The source of our power shown in salvation, the need to battle sin and put to death the flesh, to strip away sin, our constant need, our desire to grow, and the Lord's blessings, when you put all that together by the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll have that longing to be in the Word. It's exciting to be in the Word. It's a great joy to be in the Word. You hold, hold in your hand the book of life, the Word of God. And yet how apathetically we treat it. And you know, all of this leads us to cry out again to the Lord. Oh God, have mercy upon me. Stir in me those desires. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me again for treating such precious things with such a lack of love 
pleading for that forgiveness through the blood of Christ and that refreshing grace and a renewed desire for his word to be amazed at the word and to keep it central in our lives as individuals and as a church and we need it we need the nourishment and protection that is only given to us there by a constant diet of pure milk the pure milk of the word friends may we be those who love the word who desire it, crave it, known as people of the book. And as a result, may it be that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ and all for his glory. Amen.